Father, we thank you for this time uh, again as we start the prophetic books now. And Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts with your word as we go through Isaiah on Wednesday nights, that Lord, um, that our hearts would be touched in the promises that are there, the, um, the details given to us about the reigning Christ and Lord, the glory of Christ and the promises that are for us today, that Lord, our hearts would be touched. And so, Father, we thank you that we can study this word. Thank you that we can come here and open up the Bible and go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse because we need to be a people of the word. And so, Lord, as we study right now, I pray that you would just help us be attentive to the things that you have to say. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So those of you that, um, as we study the Old Testament, because the Old Testament can be largely ignored by Christians and even in churches, the Old Testament, uh, a lot of times the Old Testament is just touched on briefly. But as we've been going through the Old Testament from Genesis uh, all the way through, this is our second time through the Old Testament uh, books, that it's divided up in that. You know that the first five books are the books of Moses, right? you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then the next 12 books after that is called the historical books. It starts with Joshua. As you know that the children of Israel come into the promised land after being 40 years out there in the wilderness. They come in. They drive out the, the Canaanite tribes. They have their allotments that are given to them, their inheritance. And then after Joshua, of course, you have 400 years of the judges where they found themselves in sin. They found themselves in bondage. And, and then after that are those books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles that tells of the kings that came to rule, starting out with Saul. He was rejected by the Lord. Then David, who had a heart after God, ruled for 40 years. And then Solomon, as we've talked a lot about Solomon uh, recently on Wednesday nights, because he's the one that was used by the Lord to pen Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon that we just finished up last month. But we know that Solomon ruled during its greatest peace and prosperity, the nation, that is. And then after Solomon, the nation would split. You have the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes up north, and then the house of Judah to the south. And as you go through particularly First and Second Kings, and also as you go through First and Second Chronicles, you read about the reigns of those kings of Israel and then of Judah until they went off into captivity. The Assyrians taking the house of Israel off into captivity, and then the Babylonians, the house of Judah. And then after the historical books, that ends with uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. After the, the Jews come back from the Babylonian captivity to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city there. Esther, that very special story that is told to us. Then you have the next section of the Old Testament, and that is what we just finished up, the poetic books. We took about three and a half years to do that, and that is the book of Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, those five books. Well, tonight we're going to start the last section of the Old Testament, which is 17 books called the prophetic books. Five of them are called the major prophets, and that is Isaiah here. And then you got Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And those books that we read, their message is longer. So that's why they're called the major 
prophets. And we know that Isaiah here, that it's 66 chapters that we're going to go through. So we'll finish in just a couple months, 66 chapters, but actually it'll probably be springtime um, when we finish the book of Isaiah, um, but an incredible study. And then you have Jeremiah has 52 chapters and Ezekiel has 48. But then the next 12 books are the minor prophets. And it's not that their messages are minor or uh, not important. They have very important message to the nations, but their message is shorter. So that is the outline of the Old Testament. And Isaiah, this prophetic book, is one of the most important and amazing books of all of the prophets. I think it's one of the most amazing books in all of the Bible. And here Isaiah is giving the largest prophecy in the Bible, as I mentioned to you already, 66 chapters. It contains the fullest messianic predictions to be found in the Old Testament, testifying of the sufferings of Christ, the glory of Christ, the coming of Christ, the the reign of Christ. And as you go through the, the books of the prophets, knowing the historical books that I just told you about, and knowing the kings that were reigning during those times, and whether it was the king of Israel or the king of Judah, that as you read those you know, uh, reigns and what was taking place at that time, and then as you line it up with what the prophets are speaking, you're going to have a fuller understanding of what was going on in the Old Testament during those reigns. You see, as, as you go through it, just as Isaiah, as we're going to read in verse 1, let's go ahead and read it, that the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah and Jothan and Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So these are the kings that were ruling during the time that Isaiah is ministering. And as you look at it, you see really what is taking place, the spiritual condition of the nation of Judah, because we get an idea from the book of Isaiah. It's kind of like in the New Testament. You have the book of Acts, right? So you have Paul's missionary journeys. You read the book of Acts, his first missionary journey. He establishes the churches of Galatia. Second missionary journey, he established the church of Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. His third missionary journey, he established the church of Ephesus. When you go to the epistles there and you read about his letters to those churches, you get a fuller understanding, right, of what was taking place in those churches. For example, that the book of Galatians, you see that as he established those churches there in Galatia, that all of a sudden the Judaizers were coming around. And they were saying that you Gentile believers, it's more than just faith in Jesus Christ. You have to be circumcised. And so we know what was taking place specifically in the church and why they had the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. When you go to the books of First and Second Corinthians, even though you see in the book of Acts that the church of Corinth really exploded. Paul was there for a year and a half. And it was a very dynamic church. We also know from 1 Corinthians, particularly, and 2 Corinthians, that it was a very carnal church as well. So you get a fuller understanding of what is being said in the Bible as you start putting it all together. So us going through those historical books is really going to help us um, 
as we go through the prophets here and, and the message that they're giving in the time that they're ministering. So uh, as we do that, uh, we read that he's ministering during the time starting with Uzziah. Uh, Isaiah, his ministry is, is towards the end of the ten northern tribes. We know as we line it all up that 18 kings have already come on the scene in the house of Israel. Now, the house of Israel had only 19 kings before they went off into captivity. Every single one of those kings were evil kings, starting with Jeroboam. But Isaiah is coming on that scene um, where we read about in 2 Kings chapters 15 through 21. So that's a fairly short time as you look at the house of Israel, the 10 northern tribes existed for a little over 200 years in their history. The house of Judah uh, existed a little bit over 300 years. We read that Isaiah is ministering during that time of 2 Chronicles, chapters 26 through 33. So as he is ministering, Micah was also ministering to the house of Judah. And we also know that, um, that there is um, other you know, prophets that were on the scene as well. So Micah to the house of Judah, Hosea, he was ministering at the time that Isaiah comes on the scene to the house of Israel. So we'll see Hosea's message towards the end of the house of Israel before they go into captivity, what Micah, contemporary of, of um, Isaiah, was. At the time of Isaiah, the prophets Elijah, Elisha, Obadiah, Joel, and Jonah, and Amos had already completed their ministries. So Isaiah comes on the scene. He ministers for about 50 years, from about 740 B.C. to 690 B.C. And he would minister, as I said, in the beginning of his ministry to both the house of Israel until they would go into captivity in about 722 B.C. Actually, that captivity would start only about eight years after Isaiah comes on the scene in 732 B.C. And he would continue ministering to the house of Judah. And then after Isaiah comes Jeremiah. Isaiah, his name means Jehovah is salvation or salvation is in Jehovah. His name emphasizes his very ministry and his wife that is mentioned to us in the book of Isaiah. Her name is not given, but she is called a prophetess. Now, there are debates among scholars whether she actually had that prophetic office in ministry or she is called a prophetess because she was married to a prophet. We know that Isaiah had two sons. And we're going to read about them and um, their names and what their names mean. Their sons were actually signs to Israel. So all of this that we're going to look at. Now, tradition tells us that Isaiah ended up being sawn in half by uh, Manasseh. So after the reign here in verse 1 of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, and as we will see that Hezekiah, his life ended up being extended, as a lot of you know, and one of the, the results of that came Manasseh. And Manasseh, tradition says that, as you read in Hebrews chapter 11, that, that some of the, the, the hall of faith there, that some of uh, the prophets were sawn asunder, in other words, sawn in half. And it is believed by sources that Isaiah, his ministry would continue even into Manasseh's reign, who was a terrible king. 
and that he ended up being sawn in half by Manasseh. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that. There's references in the Talmud as well. Now, I do have to just briefly say that the higher critics come along. Higher critics will come along and try to dismiss the word of God or that the prophets really wrote what we have here in the Bible. And there are those, when it comes to Isaiah, that come along and say there was actually two Isaiahs. You see, as you read the book of Isaiah, it's called the miniature Bible. How many books of the Bible are there? 66, right? The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. And so as you read the book of Isaiah, it's interesting. The first 39 chapters are more speaking about judgment, uh, indictment against the house of, of Judah and the house of Israel, but the other nations as well. It reads a little bit like the Old Testament. When you go from you know, chapter 40 to chapter 26, 27 books, how many books are in the New Testament? 27 books. And it speaks a lot of grace and uh, about Christ's reign. And we even see that in the first 39 chapters, even as you see God's grace in the Old Testament. You see, sometimes people will come along and they'll say, why is it, Pastor Jeff, that it seems like that God was just full of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament? And then, you know, here comes Jesus in the New Testament. And he seemed to settle down, you know, God the Father and, you know, and, and mellowed out and all this. No, he, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Father's love is seen here in the Old Testament. We will see it in the first 39 chapters, but is really emphasized in the second part of the book of Isaiah. So there are those of the higher critics that come along and they will say in their scholarship that they believe that there were two Isaiahs that wrote this book. Uh, one Isaiah wrote chapters 1 through 39. The second Isaiah came along and wrote chapters 40 through 66. Uh, we can be fairly certain we can dismiss that, that there wasn't two Isaiahs, that there was one Isaiah. And we can say that because John chapter 12, I'm going to read it to you. But in John chapter 12, as we read in verse 37, but although Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled. And keep in mind that there's at least 22 quotations in the New Testament um, from Isaiah more than any other prophet Nothing is said about two Isaiahs. Here we see that Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, that the Lord who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, that's Isaiah chapter 53. Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again in, in verse 40 here of John 12, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said, singular, when he saw his glory and spoke to him. So here John quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, and then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. So there's no evidence whatsoever when you hear the higher critics say that there are two Isaiahs. There's only one Isaiah. We see it again in Matthew's gospel as well as Matthew quotes from the book of Isaiah quite a bit. I want to remind you as well that the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found, that when they were discovered, one of the greatest things that came out of the Dead Sea Scrolls is a whole scroll of the book of Isaiah, all 66 chapters of it. And some of you that were here several years ago, 
And, and those of you who have gone with us to Jerusalem when we've gone to Israel, that we've seen a copy of it in the museum in Jerusalem. The original that was found is, is in a museum uh, in Jerusalem. It's under very strict conditions, you know, atmospheric conditions, because as soon as the air hits that original scroll that's over 2,000 years old, it begins to crumble. It begins to darken. So that's under very specific, you know, uh, conditions and locked away. But they've made copies of it. There's only three of them that I know of in the world. One is in the museum there in Jerusalem. One is in the British Museum. And then there's a third one that is privately owned. And we actually had the benefit of having that scroll here at church. And there were students coming from all over northern Colorado to see that scroll, all 66 chapters. It was absolutely amazing. It was dated to 200 B.C. That's 200 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And in the book of Isaiah, what was interesting, talking about media, that you could take an iPad and you could line it up with that scroll that was under a glass, and you could line it up, and then it would come up in you know, English, and you read it, and it's what you read here in your Bible. That it is the same. That there's very few, you know, differences, maybe spelling of a word or punctuations from that document that's 200 B.C., over 2,000 years ago, to what you're reading here in your Bible, in the New King James. Absolutely amazing. There are those that will come to you and they'll try to snow you and they'll say the Bible's been changed over the years. You ask them, tell me the evidence. Tell me how has the Bible been changed? Well, that's just what I heard and, you know, and, you know, that's what one guy said. It has not been changed and we owe a great deal of thanks to those scribes who would copy the scriptures and that book of Isaiah proves it, how the reliability of the Word of God in this book given to us. 200 years before Jesus came on the scene. And in this book, what we're going to read is Isaiah is going to talk about the birth of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, which proves to us that God knows the end from the beginning, even as he's going to declare, Isaiah says, and we know that we can trust the Bible. Listen, this is an amazing book that you have in your hand. And I want you to always remember this because there are those that are out there attacking the Bible and culture attacks the Bible today, saying that you can't trust the Bible. It's outdated. It's just a bunch of men, you know, that came along writing myths and stories. No, this is God breathed. And this is given to us. And we don't have to change the Bible to fit culture. Culture needs to line up with the Bible. Because it is a loving God that declares himself to you. He loves you. And even as we're going to see that Isaiah pouring out his heart, giving a message of the Lord, even in chapter 1 as we begin, that sin is going to hurt you. And sin is going to destroy you. And it's the Lord that desires for us to walk with him, to experience that abundant life that he has for us. Do we understand that? You guys have something so valuable in your lap. Even as David says, more valuable than gold, than fine gold. Sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. And we can share it with others. This is God speaking to you and to me. And we have the privilege to be able to study one of the 66 books, Isaiah, that has 66 chapters in it. We are going to see that 
28 times Isaiah writes the Holy One of Israel. 28 times. You find that only six other times in the Bible. We see that Isaiah is going to call God our Savior. And we know that Jesus is our Savior, which proves that Jesus is God. And we'll talk more about that as well. We're going to see that he's going to tell us that Jesus, born of a virgin, again about the ministry and death and, and reign of Jesus Christ, absolutely remarkable. So here, as we read in verse 1, we'll get further than verse 1 here tonight, but Uzziah comes on the scene. Now, Uzziah was a good king. He was an, actually an incredible king. He ruled for 52 years. He was one that was an economic leader. He was one that made the nation strong. And we know that it was not Isaiah that reigned during the whole time that Uzziah was the king of Judah. Because 52 years was a long time. I believe that's the second longest of any king of Judah that reigned uh, next to Manasseh. Now, Uzziah, we know from chapter 6 of Isaiah, it tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And we know that he comes on the scene about that time, 740 B.C. is when Uzziah dies. And then Jothan reigns for 16 years. Ahaz, he reigns after that for 16 years. Now, Ahaz, we're going to see, was a terrible king. He was probably one of the worst kings that Judah had. He plunged the nation deep into idol worship and occultic practices. Um, the, the nation ended up being pillaged and attacked and weak because of Ahaz. Um, we're going to look at that and how he was unfaithful to Judah. And then we see that Hezekiah comes on the scene as well. Hezekiah was a good king. And then Manasseh comes after Hezekiah. And Manasseh was the worst king of all. So as we continue reading, here is an indictment against Judah as Isaiah begins to give that indictment. As the Lord says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, verse 2, for the Lord has spoken. And I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its own owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, for they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned away backwards. So in this indictment against Judah, God's people, he calls for this, the creation kind of into this heavenly courtroom as he uses poetic language. They hear how the nation, God's people, have rebelled against the Creator, it's like heaven and earth is a jury as God presents this case in chapter 1. And the Lord says the ox knows its owner. And the donkey knows its owner. But God's people, they don't know their creator. They don't know their master. And in verse 2 here, we read, For the Lord has spoken. He has nourished and brought up children. They have rebelled against me. Now, I want you to understand this, that as the Lord is saying this, it isn't out of this anger, but he's brokenhearted. Some of us, and some of you that are here, that you have raised children that have rebelled against the Lord. And you know that hurt, don't you? You know that hurt personally. How much it hurts when you see your child that has been raised in the ways of the Lord and been given the scriptures, that you nourish them, that you care for them, but yet they went off into rebellion. 
you know that hurt. And you know something of the heart of God as he's saying this, that my children here that were nourished and provided for, that you've gone off into rebellion. Do you realize that through the hurt that you feel for your children, a couple things that I hope is encouraging to you or at least blesses you. Oftentimes when parents come and talk to me about a child that has gone in rebellion or or gone south spiritually, that the first thing that, that they think about is, what did I do wrong? How did I fail, you know? And, you know, what could I have done better? But here's the thing for you to remember, that even though we've tried, as we prayed for our children and, and gave them the Bible and nourished them and cherished them, I want you to know this that even the Heavenly Father has children that are rebellious. And what we are to do is to just commit them to Him and to continue to pray for them and to continue to minister to them the best way you know how. And I know there's different circumstances and situations that happen. Sometimes, you know, the parents don't get saved till after their kids have grown up and they, they, they realize, you know, the effect of being a non-believer and being full of carnality, you know, what it did for their kids. But you keep praying and know that the Father loves them. But so oftentimes what I see is parents that, you know, raise their children in the church, they can beat themselves up so much. Even the Father as his children here that were in rebellion. And as you consider that, listen, the deepest level of fellowship that you can have with the Lord is entering into the fellowship of his sufferings. Even as Paul would cry out from prison as he's writing to the Philippian believers, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformable unto his death. You see, when I pray, I pray, oh, that I may know you, Lord, and the power of your resurrection. Amen. You know, I want to see mountains be gone. I want my kids to be prophets or prophetess. I, I, I want mighty things to happen. But Paul didn't stop there. And he said the fellowship of his sufferings. And it's a deep level of fellowship that you can have with the Lord as you go through any trial. Listen. But as you go through those trials where you get to experience what is going on in the heart of God. You know, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the place that I'm going to show you and offer your son as a sacrifice. And it was Abraham that took Isaac. And Isaac wasn't a little boy. He's probably about 30 years of age about that time we know historically, chronologically. And it was Abraham that said to his servant that me and Isaac, we're going to go up on the mountain. We'll, we'll return to you. And there's the wood of the sacrifice on Isaac's back. And there's Abraham with the knife in one hand and the, the fire, the flames in the other hand. And they walked up that hill together. And Isaac finally turns and he says, Dad, you know, Father, you have the knife, you have the fire, you have the wood of the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And it was his father that said that God will provide himself a sacrifice. They get up on top of the hill, 
He makes an altar. He lays down Isaac. He raises that knife. He's about ready to plunge it in to Isaac's chest. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you love me. Abraham, a friend of God. But as Abraham was walking up that hill with Isaac, what was going on in the heart of Abraham? What was he feeling? I think he was entering into the fellowship of God's suffering. Because you see, 2,000 years later, that exact same hill, there was God the Father watching his son walk up that hill, Mount Moriah. It was called then Calvary, Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue. It's a place of execution. It was an awful place. And he watched his son with the wood of the sacrifice on his back. But this time there was no stopping the sacrifice. And as Abraham walked up that hill, he's feeling some of the same things that were going on in the heart of God the Father as he would provide his son as a sacrifice. You see, it was a deep level of fellowship. And as you look at Abraham's life, that seven times God appeared to Abraham, and each time he took him into a deep level of fellowship until finally Genesis chapter 22. It's Hosea that the Lord would say to Hosea, I want you to take as a wife, Hosea, who's ministering at this time that Isaiah's on the scene. And Hosea, take for you a wife. And he loved his wife, and she committed adultery on him. And Hosea, I want you to get rid of her, put her away, or stone her. But what I want you to do is I want you to bring her back and to forgive her and to restore her. And he does. She goes out and does the same thing, commits adultery. Hosea, I want you to forgive her. I want you to bring her back. I want you to restore her. Hosea is brokenhearted over that. And so he does, and she goes out and does it a third time. I want you to forgive and bring her back. This thing is that God was showing Hosea in his heart. He was going through some of the things as he watched his bride. They would commit spiritual adultery going after idols. I think that maybe there's some of you that are here tonight that you're going through trials and you're going through difficulties. And I want you to know this, that there's a deep level of fellowship that you can have with the Lord during this time to look to him because he loves you and he wants to work in your life and he hasn't forsaken you because he promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. And the hurts that you're going through The Lord knows exactly what it is that you're going through. And he desires to bring you into that deep level of fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings, to have that closeness with him, to grow your faith, for him to speak to your heart in a very special way. And I know that in my life and in my ministry, that is in those times that were very difficult and trying and hard, that I wonder, Lord, where are you? He showed up. And he touched my heart, and he spoke to me. And it is in those times of of difficulties that we had a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord. Because all of a sudden, I'm leaning on him and looking to him. And for you that are going through difficulties here tonight, or perhaps maybe it's with a marriage, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's financially, maybe it's with your health, I want you to know this, that the Lord cares about you. He desires to minister to you. 
And he desires to show himself strong in your behalf. And that's going to be an incredible message that we're going to see with Isaiah as we go through it. Oh, there's going to be that indictment against them. And he's going to call them out in sin because he says here, it's a sinful nation of people laden with iniquity. I want you to know this. Laden means what? It means a weight. It means being weighed down. Listen, for tonight, the Lord is saying this because he cares for his people. He had nourished them that he had brought them into the promised land. He had done so much for them. They were a nation that was blessed, and Jerusalem was a beautiful city, and all of a sudden it turns into a city that committed harlotry against the Lord. And you are a sinful nation laden down with iniquity. Listen, sin is going to weigh you down. And that's why it's a loving father that says, I love you, and I don't want you to be involved in sin because it's going to not only weigh you down, it's going to wipe you out. And he desires for us to have life as Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. He did walk up that hill. And then he cried out from the cross, it is finished. And I paid the price. And I'd done the work. And he was put into a tomb and he rose again after three days. And he's alive. And he's in this place. And he's in your heart, believer. But if you're playing around with sin, it's going to weigh you down. And it's going to have very serious consequences and repercussions on your life. And here is the message the Lord saying this. A brood of evildoers is what it is. Children who are corruptors, they've forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. And they have turned away backwards. Listen, the Lord's hand has always reached out. And tonight is we're just going to go to prayer now. That if there's anything in your life that you know that the Lord is dealing with you then give it to him. You give it to him, and you ask the Lord for forgiveness, and you repent from it, because the Lord wants you to have that abundant life that he has for you, a life of peace, and a life of wisdom, and a life of real strength, and he will not listen, bless sin. He won't do it. You know, one of the things that we're going to talk about on Sunday is as we're in the Olivet Discourse, You don't want to miss it. That Jesus is going to talk about those signs again. It's all leading up to something, birth pangs. But he's going to give a warning as well. To don't have your hearts be dull. We don't want our hearts to be dulled, carried away into carousing, into drunkenness, into cares of the world. That that day come upon you unexpectedly. Listen, if the Lord is dealing with you, he has been, you know it. There's sin or carnality in your life, compromise. Will you give it to the Lord tonight? And this message of love is given to you in grace and forgiveness to trust in him. Sometimes we compromise because we think, well, it's easier or I don't know any way out. Listen, as you do what is right, trusting in him, he's not going to forsake you. And he's going to bring those promises to pass. And you can trust him and rest in him. Go to him. He says, come to me. And experience that freshness and freedom because sin is going to hold you in bondage. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for the few verses that we went over. But, Lord, we look forward to really going through this book and through the chapters. And and tonight as we come, I just pray that 
as we think about your incredible grace. Yeah, there's going to be this book, 17 books that, that a loving father has given a message to his children that he loves. And it's a message for us that he cares for us and that he desires for us to walk in what is true and right and holy. Lord, maybe that's not a popular subject today, even in the church, but it is from your word. Lord, what manner of men and women ought we to be? And so, Lord, I do pray tonight, first of all, if there's anyone that you're here that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he loves you. That's why Jesus came. The Father loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You may be here and not a believer. You've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you went to church. Maybe you've listened to Bible studies. Those things don't save you. Have you really given your life to him and asked for forgiveness? Because you might think that everything's okay in your life, but it isn't. It isn't. You don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's the one that forgives. He went to the cross and cried out, it is finished. And then he was put into a tomb and he rose again and he's alive. He proved that he's the son of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's the only source of forgiveness. Even as Isaiah in this chapter says, let's reason together, though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be washed white as snow. And he wants to wash away your sins. Will you come to him, give you eternal life, to bring you in relationship with him and to the Father? And you can do that right where you are, sincerely in your heart, just coming to him in faith and saying, Jesus, I come to you and ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me, a sinner. And I come to you and I believe that you died for me and that you rose again. You're speaking to my heart and knocking on the door of my heart and I open my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my life as Lord and Savior. You are true. And I thank you for your love and I thank you for hearing my prayer and bringing me to this place to hear the good news because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. I thank you for this new beginning. I want to know you and walk with you. Thank you for giving me a new heart. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody by chance, if you're listening on live stream or on the radio later, give me a call. Give me a call during the week here at the church. But if you're here tonight as we close, I want to stay here. I want you to come up and tell me the decision you made. For us that are here, listen, you're here, Christian, but there is sin in your life, maybe some sort of immorality. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's the words that you speak, what's coming out of your mouth. Maybe the way you're treating your spouse. Maybe there's some kind of dishonesty, whatever it may be. The Lord says, turn away from your sin because it will weigh you down the weight of iniquity and it will end up wiping you out he says turn to me and you ask for that forgiveness Lord forgive me
and then empower me to live that life after you. Because none of us can live a life of holiness or pleasing to the Lord in and of ourselves. It is a life walking in the spirit, dependency upon the Lord. And I pray that you empower your people, Lord. The world bombards us on every side, trying to get us to compromise. But Lord, we know what your word declares, to walk a way that is true and right. And then thirdly, for you who are hurting, for whatever reason it might be, that you would know it's not a time to pull away from the Lord. It's a time to draw close to the Lord. He wants to minister to you in a deep level of fellowship to speak to your heart, to stand on his promises, to know that he's still working and for his glory to be seen. Whatever it might be, he's working for good for those who love him. And we may not understand it, but you've already told us that we've read in your word in Proverbs not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust you and acknowledge you in all of our ways and to rest in what you're doing. That, Lord, that you do want to work and you're able to work. So I pray for comfort as everybody goes home. Pray you bless our studies. We continue in Isaiah and on Sunday as we hear the words of Jesus as he promises he's going to come back for us. So, Lord, we have such a blessed hope. We look forward. Help us keep our eyes on you. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.